think about the Ukraine, Lord, today, and uh, they're about six or seven hours ahead, and we pray for those churches there, that you would physically protect them, and I just pray for great boldness, and of course, protection, Lord. Father, we're mindful of the prayer request that went last week with three million refugees, mostly women, because all the men have been drafted have been drafted, women and children, we pray your mercy on the family at this time. They would be looking to you and you'd be glorified. We do pray, though, for physical protection. And we pray, as our brother Vlad just talked about, for peace. We pray for peace. Um, Lord, you, we do know that until you return, there, there are, will always be conflict. That's the nature of sin. But you've told us that we're people of peace. We're, we're, we, more than that, Lord Jesus, we, we've been told in the 13th chapter of Hebrews that you're the God of peace. And so um, along those lines, we do pray for peace and that um, there, here, and throughout the world, people would be looking towards you. I pray for, for, the, for the going forth of your word. Lord, and Father, I just um, thank you for my own devotion time this morning in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says, some of you do not know God. I say this to your shame. I just pray, Father, um, for our church that forbid it by the end of the service that that would ever be said about this congregation of people, that anyone who does not know you, and that's not facts, that's a relationship um, that you're talking about, that they would get to know you through this sermon. And bless this man, fill him with the Holy Spirit, Lord. And I pray it's as much a joy for him to give it as it is us to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Okay, can you guys hear me? Awesome. Welcome. Welcome. It's great to see you guys. Uh, it's great to, to be able to do this with you guys. I love, I love, I say this every time I teach, and I think I'm going to continue to say it every uh, time I get to teach. I get to have like this special time with God. And I know that my wife, Danielle, she, she leads worship. She's a worship leader. And I know that she has that special time with God when she uh, worships. I will randomly catch her playing her guitar. And that is something that uh, I absolutely love, but that's not the same way I feel connected to God in a sense. I do not play the guitar. Um, my voice is not the best, uh, so, but I do love to study God's word. So, and when I study it in the manner of teaching, um, it really does, uh, especially today's passage, it really, it's something that I've been meditating on myself. It's something that the Lord's been convicting me of or speaking to me or encouraging me or all of the above. So with that being said, it's a pleasure to bring God's word to you guys. If you guys don't mind rising for the reading of God's word, we're going to be in Revelation. A lot of ooze, I promise. It's one of the <laughs> easiest verses in Revelation to go through. Um, well, God willingly, I hope it is. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 2. If you need a Bible, I apologize. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We have some ushers that can bring you a Bible in English or Spanish or both. Just let them know what you need, and we will get you one. All right, I'm going to read Revelation starting in chapter, sorry, in chapter 2, starting in verse 1. The word of God says, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things 
says, he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lamps, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say there are, they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Repent, do the, the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you, Lord, for this word. God, I thank you for your word, and I do agree, Lord, um, just for prayers for Ukraine and that country there, God. I think about this, this love that we're going to talk about today, God, the, the peace that Pastor Steve talked about, all uh, that is found in you, and I know that there are people there who are experiencing love beyond love and peace beyond peace, Lord, beyond what this world knows, and I pray that you would do that and continue to do that there. God, I pray that your name, Jesus, would be glorified there. And we pray over this service this morning, Lord. I pray that my words would be yours, Lord. I pray that you would empty me and empty this room of ourselves, God, collectively and individually, Lord. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do a mighty work. God, would you move in this place? Fill us afresh in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. So revelation, right? I heard a lot of, you heard a lot of oohs when I said revelation, and I think revelation is, I think it's a simpler book than most people make it, including myself. Um, it is one of the only books in the Bible, and I heard this when I was prepping for this teaching, I think it's actually the only book in the Bible that has a, its own outline in the book of how it's going to be broken down, right? And we can see that, and I believe I have this verse, we can see that in... Um, Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. So Jesus comes to John, right? John's a, an apostle. He was one of the 12 that walked with Jesus when he was here on earth. John was exiled to a island right off of modern-day Turkey where these churches that we're going to be discussing are. And Jesus appears to him, and he says, to do these things, he says, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. That is, like, that is the breakdown of Revelation, right? The things that you have seen we can find in chapter one. The things that, which are we see in chapters two through, three, two through three. And then the things which will take place after this. You can see those in verses four through, chapters four through 22. So it's a, if, we kind of, if we keep it at its simplest form, we see this outline and we go through the book of Revelation with that mindset. Uh, what I want to, where I want to spend time today is in Revelation chapter 2, the verses we just read. And I was talking to my, my beautiful bride, Danielle, uh, a couple weeks ago, and this kind of gives, actually, it's probably a couple months ago, and this is how long, when I, when I have something that the Lord speaks to me, I, I left it back there, but I put it in my phone. I remember reading, I think it's D.L. Moody, he used to keep like a, like a little notebook in his pocket, it might be Murray, it's one of those old guys that was used mightily for God. Um, they would keep a, a pen and a book in their pocket. And when they had godly thoughts, these thoughts that the Spirit spoke to them, they would write them down, 
right? And I think of how powerful, one, we have the ability to do that with our phones. I know that Pastor Steve keeps a, a prayer journal, but I keep this journal uh, specifically for things that I think that the Lord is speaking to me. And I don't journal daily. Uh, I'm not one of the ones that are faithful enough to do that, but I do uh, highlight these things. And then as the Lord speaks on them, I have different topics. There's probably, man, probably 10 different sections in there now. I will go back and see which, which one does this fit under, or if it's a new one, I'll put it under a new one, right? A new topic. And some of the themes have been, you know, uh, Jesus, not Solomon, this idea that, and I want to get too much into this, but, uh, you know, we are looking for a king, right? And the king that we are looking for, everybody's looking for a king. I think that's true. Uh, and the king that we're looking for is Jesus, right? It's not Solomon. Solomon was a very, he was a wise guy. He was this guy that probably looked good, full of wealth. Uh, and these are some of, the, some of the thoughts that come to mind when I, when I have this journal. But recently, a few, I would say a few months ago, I was talking to Danielle, and I said, we were talking about a, a person who is really, I don't even know if they're still walking with the Lord. And um, that breaks my heart to say. And I remember saying, man, I think they just forgot their first love. And like almost immediately after I said it, I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Have I, for, have I forgotten my first love? And that's what I, that's what I try to do when I, when I think about you know, addressing a verse or putting a verse on somebody else. I say, well, Lord, how does this, what does this mean for me? Have I forgotten my first love? So I go, to the, I go to the passage where I know that forgetting your first love is mentioned, and that's what we're in today, right? And I study it, and I spend months in it, and I see the consequence of, uh, forgetting your first love. I see uh, the, the beauty in, in uh, repenting and remembering your first love. And those are all things we're going to go to today. So that's the basic outline of our, of our message today. If you don't mind, we're going we're gonna to start uh, in verse 1, and we're just going to work our way through here at Calvary Chapel in the city. Uh, we try to work through the Bible expository, or we do. Uh, expository just is, it's a fancy word of saying chapter by chapter, verse by word, verse, right? So we are going to do this. It doesn't, it allows me, or it doesn't allow me to skip some things that uh, I, would ra- I would probably skip if I were, you know, bound to trying to make sure that you guys had chapter by chapter, verse by verse, but that's what we're going to do here. So chapter two, verse one says, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write. Right now, this word angel, uh, means messenger, and most people would agree that this is just the leaders in the church, right? These, this is the pastor that this letter is being written to. These are the, the, the leaders, the pastors of these churches that these letters are going to be written to. The church in Ephesus uh, is a, a church that uh, Paul himself wrote a letter to. He had a relationship there. Paul was another apostle. He wrote uh, a lot of the New Testament. Many would argue that he wrote a majority of the New Testament, um, and Paul wrote a letter. He was there for three years. He left his, uh, his young buck, his right-hand man, Timothy, there to continue to lead the church. And so Ephesus has a standing as a, as a church that was planted and is, is known for good things, right? They've got a good, they've got a good standing in the world uh, when it comes to church. So Jesus is telling John to write this to them. And he says, these things says who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lamps. And I just want to stop really quick, and I want to go through that, because it's like, what does this even mean? And this is probably why most people think 
Revelation is confusing. Uh, it's not because Jesus, he explains this to us right before. He says in verse 20 of chapter 1, the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw my right hand in the seven golden lamps, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. So the pastors, the leaders of the seven churches, right? These, these golden lamps, Jesus says, are the seven churches, right? So we have the, the stars, which are the seven, the, the pastors of the seven churches, the leaders, and then we have the golden lamps, right? Now I'm gonna ask, I, I'm gonna ask for participation. It's gonna make me feel a lot better about myself as I'm up here looking at you guys uh, and hopefully uh, keep you guys awake. So what do stars in a lamp have in common? Light. Wow, that was fast. Okay, light. So they both have light. So let's keep that in mind, right? Both of these things shine. Now, let's see what, what Jesus says here. It's funny, I have slowed down, love the translator, because we have somebody translating this at real time. So I'm going to try to remember to slow myself down. So Jesus, the way that he addresses these seven churches, we're only going to go through one today. Uh, there's actually, can we pull up that picture, Caillou? We have a picture of uh, of the the route of these seven churches that Jesus is uh, riding to. So, if you look here, I'm blind as a bat, so I can't see. Okay, so Patmos on the bottom, this bottom right island is where uh, John was exiled to, and then we have the seven churches, and you can see they're actually in like a. Uh, this was a Roman U.S. postal code, not to get too nerdy, but you can see they're in order. We're going to do, he goes, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, uh, Theatera, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. He goes in that order, right? And his letters are going to be sent in that Roman postal order. So John is writing and he writes to, he, he starts this letter by writing to Ephesus. And he writes, all of these letters follow a very similar theme, right? These those little passages, they follow a very similar theme. Jesus, most of them, um, Jesus starts off with an affirmation. You guys are doing this well, right? I want to commend you. You are doing this well. And then he has a constructive, uh, like constructive feedback, right? You're doing this well. However, these are some things that you need to work on, right? Some of them are I think most of them are really, really, they're important to Jesus and he highlights these things. Not all churches have these constructive feedbacks that he writes to, but most of them do. So we have, he starts with an affirmation, then he has a corrective exhortation, right? He it gives a kind of a corrective theme. And then he has this, uh, a this eternal reward, if you, if you may, where he just says, this is like the benefit of doing so. Right, so in the church of Ephesus, let's see, what he, let's see how Jesus starts this. He says in verse, uh, in verse two, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot hear, you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and, and, the, and are not, and you have found them liars. And you have preserved and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Jesus is saying, when I read this, I'm like, Jesus is saying, you do church well, right? You do church well, right? You, he starts off by saying, I know your works and your labor, right? And if you think this church, he's speaking to a, 
two people who represent light. I have stars. We have this golden lampstand, these people who shine, and their ideas that they're supposed to. Jesus says, your works that I uh, have called you to do, you, you do those well, right? You do works well. Calvary Chapel, you, you are in your workplace, and you are a light, Right? Or you are, in, you are a light in the city, or you do here when people walk in, uh, you, you do that well. You serve them well in ministry. Right? He's saying you have these works and these labors, and you do that well. And then he goes on to say, you cannot, uh, your, so, and your patience. So he says, you faithfully, faithfully are taking time and waiting upon me, right? You're doing these works. You're not growing wearied of doing good, right? Now, I want to stick on the, this, this, this works theme for a second because I really think it's important because I think a, uh, works can be very, they could be something that we put in our lives that ultimately replace our love for Jesus, and I think we're going to see that here, or they can come out of a place of love for Jesus, right? Now, we see over and over, and I think I have a few verses when it comes to, to, to work and light, and we see uh, that as lampstands, we're called to be the light of the world, right? That's in Matthew. I think we have this. It's Matthew 5.14. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. These are the lampstands that he's, he's talking to, right? They do not light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. It gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. They were shining, right? They had this idea where they were working for God and they were shining. Um, and that is the call that we have on our lives, right? We are, if we belong to Jesus, he gives us this light. We are now considered the light of the world. And we're not the light of the world on Sunday, not just Sunday. We're the light of the world on Thursday or on Monday at a, at a gathering with friends, at a gathering with colleagues, at, uh, while at work, at school, right? We're called to be the light, and we're called to let this light shine, right? Our lives have been saved. We have been redeemed, and God has done a mighty work, not in our lives, not for us to put, as Jesus says, to be put, under, to put our light underneath the, a basket or to hide our light, Right, this, this lack of boldness to say, no, my life is different. My life looks like this because Jesus has done this. Right? And I can, I've, I've, you guys heard me preach before. Many of you know my story. I promise if you were to tell me 10 years ago, 11 years ago, that I would be preaching God's word, I would be married in Boston and, and have a job in finance, I would say, can you share what you're smoking? I'm dead serious. Because you're, they were clearly high because my life was not leading this way. And your life... It went, I don't know if you all know God. Lord, please let that be true. And if not, I hope today is the day of salvation for you. But those who know God, you know that your life drastically changed when you met your Savior. Right? Your, your life, you desired things that you've never desired before. You desired to be around people who wanted nothing from you other than to see you grow and to be with you. Right? You desire to be with God in a way that you've never experienced before. You opened God's word and it became, it was transformed from a history text to a living word. Right? You, when, you first, you're, when you first came to know God, God did this incredible work in you and he's still doing this incredible work for, in you. Right? This isn't a, a, a thing where Jesus stops. He doesn't stop, he doesn't say, okay, now that you're saved, now that you've given your life to me, 
good job, go ahead, and, go ahead and do life, right? He doesn't do that. He does this transforming work, this transformation work in and through us, right? And that's continual, right? And he does that, and we'll get, by, get to it in a minute. He does that by his spirit, right? This Holy Spirit that we have. So he, Jesus, is commending them on the things that they are doing well, right? He, I think it's an incredible thing just to, backtrack, I, I don't want to overlook this. In verse one, he says that he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, uh, if we remember, do you guys remember what the seven stars were? The, the pastors, right? So Jesus is saying, I hold your leaders in my right hand, right? I hold the seven stars. I am the one that holds them in their right hand because that church belongs to me. Right? And I know I'm very grateful because I, I think that more than anything, uh, Pastor Steve understands that this church does not belong to him. Our elders know that this church does not belong to them, that they were, are simply stewards of what God has called them to do. I know that they just got back from a retreat to, to seek out probably God's vision, God's heart, God's desire, any correction that was meant that needs to be done. Right? I know that I trust that our leadership understands that they are in God's hand. And I think that there's a lot of comfort for us to know that, right? Our leaders are in God's hand. If they mess up, that's God. That's God's hands, rather. God can handle that. God will take care of that, right? We can talk to them. We can disagree with them. We can mention that, right? But I think ultimately the, there is beauty in knowing that our leaders are in the right hand of God, right? And there's even, for me, there's so much beauty in knowing that right after that, he says, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lamps, Right? The seven golden lamps were the church. There we go. I'm, I'm going to keep calling, I promise. I keep you guys awake and keep me on track. So the seven, the seven one more time, they were churches. the churches. So Jesus is saying he walks in the midst of churches. the churches. Who is the church? We. Us, we. Is it, is it this building? No. no. The, body. the body. What does that mean? Us the people. The people. Okay, so the church isn't this building. Jesus isn't just walking through the midst here on Sunday morning. That's what you're telling me, right? No, I absolutely agree. He walks through the people and with the people that make up the church, right? The body of Christ is this, is this idea that we are individual members that make up the church. This building is, uh, is great. I think the new one is even better. Lord, please let us get that. But the idea that the, the building is just a holding place of where we can all come together and gather, but as the church, but that's not the church, right? And Jesus is saying he walks in the midst of the church. He walks with us, and that's where the incredible truth of uh, God continuing to walk with us through our, through our walk here on earth, that's where we find that. Right? He didn't just save us. We know that he, he died for us, right? And he walked this earth perfectly and, uh, and, and was victorious over sin and temptation, even death, right? He conquered death uh, and then was resurrected by God's spirit. And he allows that, he credits that perfect victorious life to us and we get to do the same with him, right? And that, doesn't, that right there would have been enough. That, to me, would have been enough. But he doesn't just stop there. He says, you, I'm going to walk in your midst. I'm going to be with you. Right? And that's an incredible thing to remind ourselves. Amen? Amen. 
So once again, the church in Ephesus seemed to have solid works. They, they labored well unto the Lord. They were light in dark places, um, which leads me to ask you, where are you being a light in a dark place? Right? Are you being a light in a dark place in your workplace? Are you being a light in the dark place uh, in where you're called to be, in your school, in your group of friends? Or are you putting your lamp, your, your lamp, are you covering your lamp with a basket and putting it underneath a bed? Um, there, there is this, you can't, I truly believe that you, it is almost impossible to contain what God is doing when he's working. There's a Christian hip-hop, there's a, a hip-hop artist who's a Christian, and I think about this song free, frequently. There's a, there's a verse where he says, I've seen the Lord, the same I'll never be. Some say they've seen the Lord, but live on casually. I don't know what you saw, but the Lord ain't what you've seen. Once you've really seen the Lord, you're obsessed with what you've seen. Obsession, boy, that's dead right. Love him day and night. Yeah, so there's this theme where once you have seen right, Jesus and you've truly seen him in all his glory like John has, like I know many of you are have, you have been, you're obsessed with what you've seen. Now, Ephesus was like that, but what happened? What happened that Jesus... For Jesus to say, all of these things are good, and then he goes on in verse 4 to say, nevertheless. Nevertheless, meaning that, like, yes, all of those those things are good, but they're not going to cancel out what I'm about to tell you right now. Right? While all those things are good, I have this one thing against you. And what's that one thing? What does he say? You left your first love. Not loss. It wasn't like I lost it somewhere when I was walking. Right? They didn't, just le- they didn't just lose something. They left it. Right? And I'm sure this wasn't a gradual thing. Right? But when I read this, I think I actually, I'm not a super emotional guy. At least I try to tell myself I'm not. I think I am more than I, uh, I tend, to, tend to lead on. But I, I, I mean, I shed tears. Because I think about how the, I didn't, there are four types of love, right, that Greeks give, right? And the last love is called agape, right? And this is idea of, a, most of us heard of it. I'm sure there's dating apps named after it. And, but this idea of agape, it's unfortunate on a serious note. It's unfortunate because agape is reserved for God's unconditional love, right? And when I read, when I read, I was leading a Bible study on Friday with the Mefford group, and we went through this, um, if Dave's in here, sorry, Dave, we didn't go through Matthew. We went through this. Um, but I was going through this, and when, you, when, I, uh, when I'm reminded of the, the idea of my first love, I wasn't, I don't, most people in this room would say, uh, especially if they don't know the Lord, oh, my first love, man, is probably in the third grade, right? <laughs> Super guilty. I think her name was Catherine. Barely remember it. Sorry, love. Um, <laughs> There's this, there's this I, maybe the third grade, maybe the seventh grade, right? Maybe the 11th, maybe my junior year of high school. You know, I really love this person, and uh, they broke my heart. They did me wrong, right? And that's this idea that that was my first love. And Jesus is saying, you, that's not the first love that he's, he's saying that you've forgotten, right? That might have been this, remember the Greeks had how many definitions of love? Four, four right? Do, can anybody name all four? I gave you one, so you only need to name three. Eros. Okay, we have... Yep. Agape, phileo, storge. That's the, that's the good one. Whoever said that, shout out to you. That's, a, that's still probably the most overlooked one, 
right? So I think the Greeks did it right just to talk about love because this idea of forgetting your first love uh, is super important and knowing what your first love, what that means, I think is even more important, right? So when the, when the Greeks are talking, when they describe love, they said, okay, well, there's four different ways. There's this idea of storge that somebody brought up, and that is just an empathy bond, right? I think of a parent's love for their kid, right? And I don't think Jesus is necessarily talking about that. I don't think he's saying you parents have left your love for your kid, right? Uh, the, I will say on a side note, kids, that is a, fa- a parent's love for a kid is fascinating, it does not make sense to me, right? As I hope to be a father one day, I think about how, how hard of a son I was to my, man, what I put my parents and my grandmother through, the ringer I put them through was insane, right? This idea of, I think that God gives the parents though a special heart for their love, this storge love, because it's a piece of their heart for them and it's supposed to be a witness of his, his heart for his children, Right now, that's not complete love, right? Because that I don't think that all. Uh, I'm not sure if all parents love. I don't want to go down that route, but I still think that's one little picture of what love is. Um, you know, this you have this little being who's only going to take from you. They're going to hurt you. They're probably going to lie. They cost probably thirty thousand dollars a year. I know that for a fact in Massachusetts, um, most expensive place to raise a child. Um, and if you ask parents why they love their kids, none of them can really give you a solid answer. I'm dead serious. What, I'll ask you, Dan, why do you love your child? <laughs> because they're your children, and that's a serious note. You can't, they, these, it's mind-boggling, right? And that's exactly, I think God does that on purpose. He does it on purpose because he loves us in a way, like it makes no sense why he loves us, right? So much so that that's, that's just a piece of the puzzle, Right, this, this, this parent love, right? Because we're his children, right? The third one is this idea of uh, brotherly love, phileo, right? We get the word Philadelphia, the city um, in Pennsylvania. And this is a friend bond, a brotherly bond. Uh, uh, and I think of it, the definition I have here is a love between friends as close as siblings uh, in, in length or duration, uh, in strength or duration, rather. And I have the best man in my wedding. I have a, uh, I'm one of uh, four close siblings. And the best man in my wedding was actually a friend. He wasn't any of my siblings. Um, I have been friends with him for 22 years. His name is Dominic. Love him to death. He's a brother. He's not a friend. Uh, and I'm sure that we as Christians have many outside of the church like that. I think inside of the church we're probably called to have that type of relationship with one another. Right? That, that brotherly love. I know that we toss the word brother around. I'm super guilty of it. But saying I love you like a brother. I see you as a sister. I see you as a sibling and I love you like that. Right? We may wrestle. We may butt heads. But I love you anyways. I'm here for you. Right? And that's this idea of uh, this uh, brotherly love. And if you think, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, but I call you Friends. Right? So we see that, okay, well, Jesus highlights, I think that there's a special love that parents, there's a special love between friends that so much so that Jesus highlights and calls us one of those, right? And then there's this eros, 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 romantic love, right? I think that if we were to poll most Americans uh, and most people around the world and you ask them, 
what their definition of love is, I think it probably leans more on this, this romantic love, right? I think that Hollywood, we can just look at media, rather uh, Hollywood and entertainment and songs and uh, everywhere in the world, people are looking for this romantic love. Right? This love between one and another, another human being, this connection that goes so, it's supposed to go so much further than any of these other connections in depth, in emotion, in emotions. And I think that I, I know I'm super guilty of it, um, but I, unfortunately, this is held as the highest standard of love in, mo- in, most, of a, in most people's hearts. Right? And the, you... <laughs> Man, I, I, it breaks my heart because I know that this love is going to fail. Like this romantic love without the last one is going to fail, right? Uh, it is, once again, I, I think about kids filling us, friends if we fight, eros, you know, it, you will, the divorce rate in America is over 50%, right? So clearly something isn't right there, right? They were once in love, right? This eros romantic love, but even that, Jesus is saying, there's three different loves there, and that's not, no, not one of those describe what Jesus is talking about, right? Which one is he talking about? Agape. God's unconditional love, right? The, I have multiple verses. You can just bring up, uh, can you bring up Romans 5.8? So God's agape love, right? So we have Romans 5.8, which says most of us can probably quote this. There we go. God demonstrates his own agape, unconditional love for us in, that, in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Can we pull up uh, John 3.16? For God so agape, unconditionally loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Right, so we see that this agape love is, it's designated for God, right? It's often tie, oftentimes tied directly to him, but we also are called to have it. That's absolutely impossible without Jesus. Absolutely impossible. Right, when I read, can we pull up 1 Corinthians? This was, Steve often shares this at weddings, like most pastors, most people will, oh, that's super long, sorry. Um, Steve, don't be mad at me. Um, I won't read all of it. But if you read some of these and go through the 1 Corinthians, oh man, I might have to read it. It says, so 1 Corinthians 13 says, and though I have the gift of prophecy, right? So I have this good gift where I get to, I'm using it for God. And understand all mysteries and knowledge. I am wise beyond years. And though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but not love agape, God's unconditional love, I am nothing. So Jesus, when he highlights it, just to go back to, 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 our, to tie this into our scripture, when he says you are doing all of these things good, nevertheless, just means you have nothing If you've forgotten your first love, you have nothing. Paul writes, I am nothing. In verse three, he says, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, I am serving the homeless. I'm sending money to Ukraine when they need it. 
and the, which are all great things. Recommend uh, you, we should be supporting and be doing those. And though I give my body to the to be burned, I'm sacrificing myself for others. But have not God's unconditional love, agape. It profits me nothing. God's unconditional love, agape, suffers long and is kind, right? And you guys can read through this, but on your own, it's 1 Corinthians 13. Anytime you see that, I just want you to start, you just rem- when you see love, you think God's unconditional love, right? This is what they left. This is what, how God loves us. If we look in verse four, God suffers long. I mean, think about a parent. Suffers long and is kind, Maybe not all parents love, does not envy love. God himself, his perfect unconditional love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. God cares for us in a way that nobody else cares for us. He fills us with that love and then tells us to go do the same. But it's impossible to do without God's spirit. Impossible, impossible. We are, if you are in this room right now and you are seeking love, I'm telling you right now, you, can, you will go your whole life running around this, running, I think about our heart right here has this hole that God made, and you will run around this hole, around this hole, trying to fill it with a lot of things. You'll be wasting a lot of tears and a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of emotions and a lot of pain because you're overlooking this one hole, right, that's meant to be filled by God by his agape love. And then as believers, if we're in this room, and this is, I mean, this is, this is where it, it bro- borderline broke. It did break, man. I can't act like it didn't. I was like, man, I'm, I feel like God was telling me, Jordan, you do church well. You do church well. You go to church. You teach. You go to Bible studies. You do all of these things. You do them well. But when's the last time you've taken an extended day with me? When's the last time you've, you've spent extra time in community? You've, you've chosen community over, like, I think about, oh, man. Just for time's sake, I want to read. I want to read because I want to read the solution to here. We, we got this idea of forgetting your first love and how much that breaks my heart, and I hope that that challenges you as well. But we, more so, I think it breaks God. I know that it breaks God's heart more than anybody. So remember, we have the affirmation. We have the... The, 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 the thing that God has against them, right, which is this, they've forgotten their first love, and what's the corrective part of that? He says in verse five, remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Right? So what, is he, what does Jesus tell them to do? Two things. Repent and remember first, first, first love. Do the first works. Right? When I think about the first works, when I first got saved, man, I was doing, like I was foolishly in love. Right? I've never been in that type of love in my life. Right? Most people uh, call that the honeymoon phase. And I've gone on a honeymoon, it was phenomenal, but it was nothing like this honeymoon, right? I was staying up till 2.30 with friends, other Christians that loved me for no reason. They didn't want anything from me. I was with them in coffee shops in Las Vegas at 2.30 in the morning drinking vanilla lattes. 
gained a lot of weight, but spending time with discussing God's word in community. I was going on long drives just to pray. Quiet, just to pray. Right? I was, I clearly, I, I experienced love for the first time I've never experienced, and God was overwhelming me. That didn't stop. That doesn't have to stop. I think for most of us, we're, ah, man, I speak to myself when I say this, we're guilty of leaving that, right? Satan puts all these things in our ways and tries to distract us with busyness and X, Y, and Z, but we don't have to leave our first love, right? We don't have to read these words and feel convicted like, Lord, is this me, right? Because you, you can, repent means what? Turn, say it louder. Turn. Turn where? Turn, do a 180. You're going, you're, you're forgetting your first love. You're walking away from me. Repent means turn around and do the first things that you did. Turn back to me. Do those first things. Right? I have a li- remember how you used to spend time in his word. Remember how you used to pray. Remember the joy of getting together with other Christians. Right? Remember how excited you were telling others about Jesus. Right? Just letting your light shine not putting any type of damp in it or turning, you know, having Alexa turn on your smart light to 30%, right? You are, you were fully in love and fully on fire and fully unashamed of your Savior, right? In a way that just compelled and just had your heart. So when I think about what does that mean to repent? What is the, what does that mean? It, it, Jesus says it best, remember your first works, right? Remember your first works, now, I will say this. I know there are people in this room that have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm positive, 100%. Right? There are those who are like, spend extra time with Jesus. What does that even mean? Like, you what? 2.30 talking about the Bible? You like being around Christians? You, actually, you love that? You, loved other, you love other people? Right? And there is a reality. I think about when Paul... When Paul goes in, so to the church of Ephesus, and I'm going to wrap up with this. In the church of Ephesus, Paul, in chapter 19 of Acts, he goes there and he says, he sees people who's calling, they're calling themselves disciples. He sees them and he says, Paul probably sees something off and he says, do you have the Holy Spirit? And does anybody know their answer? What's that? What in the world are you talking about? Right, those are my words. Right? What, what, what do you mean, how, do I have the Holy Spirit? Right? And Paul is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Then how are you baptized? Because when we baptize, we're baptized into what? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So you got two. How do you not know what the Holy Spirit is? Right? So then Paul baptized him. Uh, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they are children of God. Not that time, because I'm sure Paul also went over the gospel and explained exactly what Jesus did. Um, and that is how we're saved. Baptism is an expression of that. But later on, uh, we see that uh, this church grow, right? They absolutely grow. But there are people that do not know Jesus, right? And they're coming up in leadership. And Paul calls them wolves. And this is in the end of... Uh, the end of 22. Can we pull that verse up? It's Acts 20, is it 21, 22? 
20, 20, Acts 20. There we go. Keep what, this is Paul writing to this flock, and this is for the leaders here. I, I mean, I know we have a lot of leaders here. Um, family, work, wherever. Specifically, this is talking about church, though. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, the Holy Spirit that did that job. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he, Jesus, bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, which he leaves after three years, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock, right? These savage wolves aren't focused on this. I think they're easy to point out because uh, where the spirit of love produces joy, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, right? All these fruits that we see, there we go, all these fruits that we see in Galatians, I think these wolves, they're, they're not producing fruit. They are, uh, they are devout. Like they're, they're focusing on eating sheep, right? And they don't have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does his job. I want to stay on track here as we close. The Holy Spirit's job is to do what he did in my heart when I read this, what I'm hoping he's doing now is that he points us to Jesus, right? He points us to Jesus. He convicts us to say, okay, well, that's true. That's right. Jesus is right, right? He gives us that. And then he, once we accept Jesus, he transforms us into the image of Jesus, right? We love, we know how to give agape love because he first loved us, Right? If you don't know Jesus, you can't give agape love. You, ha- you can't experience agape love without it. So as I conclude, if the worship team doesn't mind coming up, I will, I will leave you with that thought, um, and I will ask you that question. If, man, there's so, I can go on for for so long on this topic because it means so much to me. But there's two things I want to ask as we close. One is, have you left your first love? Right? Have you left your first love? In that same manner, maybe you haven't. Have you seen somebody leave their first love? Have you watched them leave their first love? If so, I want you to pray for that person. And if we have, do we have people praying? Yeah, perfect. If people can come up and pray, that'd be awesome. If you have left your first love, I want you to pray. Repent. Come up here, pray, share that with us. We will pray for you. If you have seen somebody leave their first love, I pray, I want you to come up here and pray for them. And the last one is if you've never experienced agape love, man, It's, it's unconditional. It's free. There's no conditions. You just have to believe it. That's it. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, that, do we have that verse now? That if you, I don't think we do. If you believe in your heart, if you, if you confess with your mouth, oh man, I'm, I'm struggling here. I, I, two, seven was a while ago. Forgive me. I have it here that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's when the Holy Spirit comes in. That's when you experience unconditional love. That's where you learn how to give unconditional love. 
Let's pray. Father, I do thank you, Lord, for this time. I thank you for your unconditional love. I thank you for your grace and giving it so freely, God. Lord, I thank you for the ways that you approach us. Father, I think about how you affirm the things that we do well, but you correct us. Lord, you love us enough to correct us. Lord, you don't allow us to stay as is, Lord. You desire us to grow and to change and become more like you, God. So I pray that you would do that in this room right now, Lord. I pray that you would be, these words today would be challenging, Lord, that we would remember our first love, God, that we would repent if we've turned away from you, Lord, and that we would do the works of our first love, God. And if there's no, if this is a foreign concept, this, this idea of unconditional love, Lord, the world puts conditions on every love, every type of love, God. I'll love them if they do something for me. I love them because they did this. Lord, you love us because you love us. Mm -hmm. And you love us perfectly and you love us wholly. You love us so much so that you've given your life for us, God, so that we can be with you and experience that love firsthand, not through other people's words. Mm -hmm. God, so I pray that you would do that in this room right now, Lord. I pray that people would understand unconditional love is from you. Jesus, I pray that you would be glorified. And I pray that people would, man, Lord, just turn to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name.